welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run, or I should say if you want to drive with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's talk. I have an interesting quote for you. The buzz is, get in or you'll miss the fun. Sound familiar? Maybe not. It's a quote from the book called Pushing the Limits by Katie L. McGarry, who is a young adult novelist. Uh, yes, who was a teenager during the age of grunge and boy bands. Let's leave that one alone. So let's talk. What does this have to do with digital industries? Well, I'm going to tell you. We're entering a new age of the mobile experience as smart devices and business productivity tools, come on, you know what they are, you use them, are significantly changing how we work, how we communicate, how we sell, how we buy, how we live. But, and there's a but, there's a caveat, workers in the automotive industry all around the world need to access, make decisions, and take action on all of this great mission-critical enterprise data that's being generated by sensors and devices every place, everywhere we go, and everywhere they are. So, pun intended, how is the new mobile experience driving, that's a hint, business efficiency and value in this always mobile automotive industry? You may be surprised to know that my three guests today are regular panelists on our series called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Yes, we're we're repositioning and repopulating our panels of experts. So in a moment, I'm going to be introducing Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP, fresh from the best practices for automotive event in Detroit, Michigan. Great event, I understand, because I was there remotely. We're welcoming back Heather Ashton, the Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing insights and are also specialist on automotive and rounding out the panel where would be we be without auto shell global SAP business architect and SAP center of excellence lead at GM so let's get the party started Larry Stoley has sent me a quote from BF Skinner I'm not going to go into a big bio today and the quote is very interesting the problem is not whether machines think but whether men do Larry Stoley welcome back how have you been I've been well, Bonnie, recovered from best practices and all the uh, interviews we did there. So thank you. I'm well. I'm glad. I'm glad. And by the way, B.F. Skinner, I don't know if you know his full name is Burris, B-U-R-R-H-U-S, Frederick Skinner, commonly known as B.F. Skinner, was an American psychologist, behaviorist, author, inventor, and social philosopher who lived from 1904 to 1990. That's all I have to say about him. Very interesting man, very well written and well spoken. So, Larry, the quote, problem is not whether machines can think, but whether men do. We're in this age of mobile, mobility. Automotive is changing dramatically. So what would B.F. Skinner say? Well, it's interesting. I chose this quote because lately I have a tendency for choosing quotes from people I don't always agree with and then twisting them to to meet my end, so to speak. So Skinner really said, you know, it doesn't matter about machines. It's really what men think, and, and, you know, certainly that term is gender non-gender specifically. We'll let you pass on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, the, the reality is, he he believed very much that free will was an illusion, 
and that human behaviors are the result of influences and so on and so forth. And I'm completely the opposite. I certainly accept that some of that is true. But in the automotive industry, in the manufacturing industry, supply chain industry, customer uh, experience piece of automotive, um, you know, we have the technology there today to really take a lot of the decisions that people used to make and Mm -hmm. commit them to machine learning. Just make those decisions. You know, they're based on tremendous amounts of insight and information and experience, much like Skinner said about humans, but they can be in the machine world. And then you think about this, that frees people up for dealing with very complex or more complex, if you will, situations, challenges, and opportunities in the automotive industry. And how do we do that? Just hey, they've got this thing in their hand day in, day out. Just put the information in front of them and let the human brain do what it does so well. Artificial intelligence, not comparable to the human brain yet, probably won't be for decades. But we've got the connection in our hand, whether it be the smartphone, whether it be the tablet, just put information there and let the human brain work. Let the human brain work. There you go. I like that. We still have to keep it in shape, don't we, Larry? We still have to keep it running and keep it sharp. Because if we don't, what's going to happen to all this AI and machine learning and design thinking? And nothing's going to happen without our input. We hope. We hope that we still have a place in this civilization. Thank you, Larry. Very, very interesting. And now let me welcome back Heather Ashton, as I said, research manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. And Heather has sent us a quote from Charles F. Kettering, who lived from, it's debatable what day he passed away. Interesting. He lived from 1876 to either November 24 or 25, 1958. But what's important was, is he was an American inventor, engineer, businessman, and the holder of 186 patents. And he was a founder of Delco and head of research at GM, Hello Auto, from 1920 to 1947. So here's the quote Heather has selected. All human development no matter what form it takes, must be outside the rules. Otherwise, we would never have anything new. Woohoo! Interesting. Heather, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Ronnie. I'm glad to be here and, and happy to uh, participate again. Um, I, it's funny, as Larry was talking, I was looking at my quote and thinking, this is, it actually dovetails quite nicely um, off of it, his, and that wasn't planned. <laughs> great minds. That's what we call great minds, Heather. You've been hanging out with Larry too much. Maybe with Otto, exactly. too. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Go, go ahead. Um, but I was going to say that the interesting part here, to Larry's point, is that, um, that that whole notion of human development, right? So let's use technology in such a way that it frees up that human mind to do what it does best, which is innovate. And, and you know, what I'm trying to say with this quote as well, of course, is you have to break the rules. You have to think outside the box. Nobody would ever have imagined 10 years ago that a smartphone would be, a phone would be indispensable to us. But it is, right? So mobile has just completely transformed how we go about our everyday lives. And so there are other ways, too, if we think about the automotive industry, we also need to, again, break some rules, think outside the box. That's where we're going to see this great transformation. So that's the, uh, the reason I picked the quote. 
Thank you. Very, very interesting. Yes, it dove, does dovetail very nicely. And human development, can we extend that, Heather, thinking human, what we are developing as extensions of ourselves and into AI, into machine learning, into driverless cars, into automatic? Uh, my daughter was telling me she she just bought a new car, and she said she was amazed that some of these cars can parallel park, they can front park, they know when something's coming at them from any direction, they know when to slow down, even on autopilot, if you will, they know when traffic is slow going ahead. It's like, okay, are we halfway to driverless cars with cars that are officially still requiring humans? Any thoughts on that, Heather? Yeah, I think I think we're a long way toward it. Um, but I also think that there's a human factor um, as it exists. And until we get to the point where we're completely automated, we have to be able to react to the environment um, where everything else is not necessarily, you know, part of that machine learning environment. So I do think that, that you know, we're, we've come a long way and we're, we're getting very close. But um, but there's still that human factor, and I think it, and it makes a big, a, big, a big difference. I think there was something I read recently about there are seven different parts of the brain that, um, that focus on vision. If you think about that, the human brain, and then you think about trying to kind of replicate that in a car or in, you know, something else, um, it's, it's very complicated, very complex. We, our brain is so complex, and to Larry's point again, you know, really machine learning and AI will go a long way, but we, we still, you know, you can't, today you can't replace the human, the human brain and the human mind. Thank goodness they still need us. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> and now let's bring on Otto Shell from GM and the Global SAP Architect at GM. And Otto is quoting Charlie Chaplin today. So we've gone from B.F. Skinner and Charles F. Kettering, uh, inventors and interesting men of psychology and of industry, and we're going to the British actor, screenwriter, and director Charlie Chaplin. I don't know how many people even know that he was British. I just thought he was part of the American theater, American film landscape. I didn't know he was a Brit. Uh, the quote is a very interesting one, by the way. Charlie Chaplin lived from 1889 to 1977. I see, I tend to think of 1977 as just a few years ago. Excuse me. It's my age showing. So here is the quote from Charlie Chaplin. If anybody else says it's like old times, I'll jump out the window. I like that quote. Hopefully there's a car waiting downstairs to catch him and whisk him away. Otto, welcome back. How have you been, Otto? I've been very, very well, and as you mentioned already, I think we had a very good conference two weeks ago, bringing people yeah. back to scale, and uh, it was very interesting how it moves also from 2015 to 16, and uh, we could announce a 17 event, so everything going positive. Good, good, good. So talk to me about the quote, very interesting. Actually, I was looking for a quote out of uh, a movie which is called Modern Times, which was mm-hmm. very, very early uh, in the 20s, which was very interesting, showing how it goes to the Industrial Revolution. And then looking to quotes, I've, I found this one. It's not in context as it is written, so you need to see it in context of a discussion between Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. But at the end... Of the day, it is what it is really. When you go now back to some discussion, people say, okay, it's new wine in old barrels. Yeah, but at the end, it's not. It's an entire move what we are talking about going into the digital world. And yes, it fits to the quotes we had all over the year. I remember one quote out of the movie, um, which was Diverge, where I twist jumped out of a train and fall into a net, and exactly what it is, yeah, we can jump out of the window, we will fall somewhere in the net, into the cloud, somewhere else, but it's not old times, that is of sure. 
That's absolutely true. The times they are a change, and I think I'm quoting um, Bob Dylan, who decided eventually he did decide to come out of hiding and accept his Nobel Prize. So there. So we're wrapping up a lot of a lot of interesting quotes here. Thank you, Otto. Larry, I'm going to circle back to you, and uh, I I don't know if you're drinking the same 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 old you always do, but we'd love to know where you're calling from today and what's in your cup today, because we all know that digital industries changing the game is part of our Umbrella Series Coffee Break with Game Changers. So, Larry, tell me what's in your cup today. Well, I'm in my home office, um, as I always am, if I'm very lucky. And in my cup is the traditional Folgers. And, and I have to admit one thing. You know, Otto always talks about Americans burning coffee. Mm. And, you know, it took me a while to understand really what he was saying and, and that he, he was saying, you make it too hot. You can't taste it. And then I realized, you know, Otto and I are on exactly the same page. I don't burn <laughs> my coffee. I like it cooler, more palatable to the tongue. So my Folgers... Is black, not so hot, and very palatable to my tongue. So that's what's in my cup. I'm very happy to hear that. And I've come up with a little trick for my Nespresso coffee, Larry. I like to try different rather dark roasts. And if I don't finish it, I refrigerate it in the mug. Sometimes it has a little milk in it, sometimes not. And then the next day, I'll put it in my little mini Hamilton Beach blender, add an ice cube, a little agave syrup, maybe half a banana, a little bit of 1% milk, and I'll make a coffee banana shake with the leftover <laughs> coffee. And let me tell you, it is fun to drink. It's there really, go. really good. So I I gave my drink. Other than the cool, clear water I'm going to talk about in a minute, I, I give a sneak peek of what I really love to drink. So, Heather Ashton, where are you and what are you drinking today? I am in um, north of Boston, um, Bonnie, and I am I'm drinking my coffee as usual. But I think I've gone into laborious detail in the past about that, so I won't bore everybody. Um, but I will focus on a new favorite for me, um, not at the beginning of the day, but at the end. Um, and we are in, of course, as you know, the fall season, um, so I'm into hard cider. Um, I am a long-time gluten intolerant person, so I have not been able to enjoy beer for many years. And it's one of those things where you attend a tailgate or some kind of sporting event, and you feel kind of left out um, because the glass of Chardonnay just doesn't quite translate. So in recent <laughs> you know, history, there are all these really cool hard ciders out there um, with names like Angry Orchard and Crispin and Down East. A lot of them um, come from this, you know, the, the Northeast and then also Washington State. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. I like that. Is, is it a very tart, Heather? How does, how does a hard cider taste to the tongue? Is it, do you like it cold or cool? How do you drink it? Over ice? Uh, adding anything to it? Straight out yeah, of the I bottle? Yeah, straight out of the, the bottle or the can. Because um, it basically tastes like carbonated um, apple cider, meaning I, d- I don't like, you know, really kind of hard or tart taste. So it, it is very pleasing to the tongue. It just is a little little more sparkling, I would say, than a uh, than an apple cider. So you can kind of taste the fermentation. But it's not, you know, it's, it's definitely on the sweeter end, which is also something I like. Thank you very much, Heather. You're never boring. And not even when you tell us all the drinks you're drinking, never boring. So bring it on. Thank you, Heather. And by the way, a little birdie told me that Larry Stoley is renewing his Future of Cars with Game Changers series for 2017. So I have a sneaking suspicion that Heather and Otto will be joining me again on radio very soon on the other side of the new year. So there. And Otto Shell, I believe you're in Germany today. Where are you and what are you drinking? Actually, I'm in my office in, uh, in the production site of uh, GM Opel Rüsselsheim, and I'm drinking an espresso. 
And uh, Larry, next time when we see each other, I need really to teach you coffee. It's not about burning the tongue in sense of hot. It's really the taste. And uh, it, it's really a different taste if you drink it from a fresh Italian restaurant or fresh Italian bar than uh, in Detroit bars because it's the bean which is burned. It's like, uh, it's, it's really, you smell it when you go in. But I will, I will teach you on this. You can teach me on some other stuff, but I will teach you on coffee. No worries. I love it. Sharing and caring, Larry. We're in a, in a, a touchy-feely show here. That's very, very interesting. I already told you what my favorite drink is, but I do have a mug of cool, clear water with an orange straw because the leaves are just starting to turn here in New York. It's what's the day today? November 1st. Could it be? Could it be? I've always said all year long, where's the year going? Well, the year's almost gone. What can I say? So we're talking today with our panel of regular regular speakers from our series, The Future of Cars with Game Changers, but we have transported them through the magic of radio and internet over to our series, Digital Industries Changing the Game. This is an extra episode for this series, and we're talking about a very serious process here, the power of mobile transforming the automotive industry from insight to action. So we're talking about all that data, all those devices. I'm getting all choked up. I'm so excited about this. All those business productivity tools that are changing everything. But what happens to the data? People in automotive need to have access to it, where they are, when they are, on the device they use, and they need to be able to make decisions now. Bingo, now is gone. What can I tell you? So we're going to be speaking a lot more with Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, and Otto Shell on this topic. You don't want to miss this. I promise it's worth your time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching. Oh, you know that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin is our engineer today, so all I'm going to say is Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Digital Industries, changing the game. Here we are. We're back. Digital Industries Indeed, speaking with Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, and Otto Shell, our automotive experts about mobility and data and sensors and what are you going to do with all of it. 
turning from insight to action. That's what it's all about. So we're going to kick off our roundtable in earnest, as my mother likes to say, with Larry Stoley. Let me read a little from one of Larry's notes he sent me. He says, at the moment, we're witnessing an explosion of connections, data, and innovations. Yes, we know that. And even though this hyperactivity has changed the game, automotive customers are radically changing the rules. Let me stop there. And Larry, why don't you continue the thought, and then we will invite Heather and Otto to chime in. Go ahead. Well, one of the things that we did in planning this call was make a real distinction between mobility and mobile devices, mobile devices, if you say it the American way. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is that everybody has a smartphone. Everybody has a, has a uh, tablet. And some of those are personal. Many of those are personal. Some of them are provided by companies and so on and so forth. And the question always becomes, all right, I've got this smart device or devices. First off, why do I need multiple devices to do things? I don't anymore. And then this, the next question is, why, why can't I just get all the information I need from all this big pile of big data, from all the sensors that exist in the world, presented to me in a way that I can make sense of it and execute on the, the intelligence that's provided me. That allows me to do a couple things. It allows me to manage my business or my job by walking around. Where have we heard that one before? And it allows me to be anywhere, anytime, and make business decisions that are necessary. And today, we're starting to get to the point where our smart devices, our smartphones, our smart tablets can be connected to these huge amounts of data with mm-hmm. simple development tools that allow that to become a reality. SAP and Apple, for example, just connected themselves in such a way that with software development kits, the Apple, the smartphone from Apple, the iPhone, can reach into vast amounts of enterprise data and say, hey, this is an issue. Deal with it. And that just makes things work efficiently. And oh, by the way, when you're mm-hmm. able to work efficiently, there's some some degree of gratification that happens. And when a person's gratified in the choice they make, the information they were provided that allowed them to make that choice, they're happy. And guess what? The next decision comes easier and comes with more gratification. And it's a snowball effect of good business decisions that can be delivered and executed by smart technology these days. It's just it's just a wonderful world that we're starting to enter in. Okay, and we're not going to talk about data security at this point, but we're talking about that wonderful world. On that note, Heather Ashton, talk to me about that wonderful world of all this data out there and what we're going to do with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fascinating, um, Bonnie. I think that Larry definitely highlighted the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity that we have with all of this data coming in, and that is turning it into actionable insight, um, being able to take the next best action. And I, I definitely think that's what we're seeing um, the potential benefits, one of the biggest benefits being of, of mobility or mobile devices um, is, is a, a form factor for being able to take that next best action. And that can mean just anything, depending on what your role is within the organization. I, I know we're talking automotive here. Um, so everything from in the service bay, being able to sort of take the next best action, right, using a tablet or some other type, type of smart device when you're trying to diagnose a problem um, with an automobile, um, or it, take it to the other end. 
um, on the on the innovation side when you're actually trying to create and design a new car, a new vehicle. You know, how how do you use a, a smart device to be able to do things like you know um, superimpose new types of design features, right, or or, or work on prototyping. So I, I do think that. Um, that the, the form factor of, of a mobile, smart, handheld type of device is really a transform, transformational in terms of taking all of that data and putting it in an actionable, you know, um, consumable format so that humans can do what they do best, which is, again, innovate, make decisions, take action. Um, so I, I definitely agree that that's one of the major benefits of mobile. And that reminds me, Heather, of your quote from Charles Kettering, all human development, no matter what form, and we are with form factor, must be outside the rules, otherwise we would never have anything, and that's talking about innovation. Thank you, Heather. Otto Shell, join the conversation, please. Yeah, finally, 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 after a couple of years, people don't talk any more buzzwords, but they, they connect to things. And uh, one of the connections, which was always there, at least in the last 10 years, is mobility. And what they see is that uh, mobility also makes people mobile. Yes, it's not more about coming to a point to look and see. It's more that, that you can get everything with one device. And one question we asked two weeks ago at the automotive event is, who is at the end driving a car? Is it the person or is it the mobile next to you? Because it gives you information where you are. It gives you information from your family, what you have to look for, what you have to search for. gives you everything. And now that we talk about business models and not more about technology, it makes me really happy because it took a long time to go there. Thank you, Otto. Larry, let me circle back to you. Thoughts on what your colleagues here have added to your topic? Well, you know, I, I agree with both of them. The time is here. I mean, the reality is we have the, the technology, we have the capability, we just need to figure out now how to use it. And we're beginning to do that. You know, people, the, the human brain needs to move itself to the higher levels of processing, complexity, and so on. Let let uh, solutions be presented for choice on a smartphone, on a smart connected device, and, and leave the, the high-level problem resolution or opportunity resolution to the human brain. And, you know, the, the reality is the more of that that happens, the more we contribute to machine learning. Machines going to learn from our decisions. So those smart devices not only help us be more efficient, but the decisions we make on those smart devices now can make machines much more efficient at making choices without human intervention and making the right choices by the way so this is this is where we're going it's it's a it's a great place to be it is a great place to be. And, Larry, before I move on to a topic from Heather's list of notes here, question for you. Uh, we talk very often on your series, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. We talk about the driverless car and autonomous vehicles and electric cars and all of the, the real innovations that are changing the vehicle itself and how it operates and what we as humans need to be doing in it or for it or by it while we're being transported via it. Sorry for that long, long yeah. bunch of commas there. So the question is, is the data, let's look at a simple example. We can have the whole panel way on this. A simple example of cars that now know how to park themselves. Okay, for years, people have joked about women don't know how to drive, we don't know how to park. Well, maybe somebody in automotive was listening and said, we need to give everybody a chance to have a properly parked car with a lot of less stress, with much less stress, and we need to do it right. We need to fit into spaces that are, are okay for that car, and we need to not take too long to 
do it. So we're going to listen to what the human side of the, the users need and we're going to build that into the car. So did that come, any, any thoughts on this, Larry? I don't know if you're, you're in on this, but any data was data or was this public opinion or was this complaints that they heard colloquially? How did we get to that innovation and did any of it come from data? I'm just wondering. You know, I don't know if it came from data, but but let's let's be honest. You know, my complaint or my wife's complaint or someone's complaint is data. So you take that data and say, okay, mm-hmm. that's a complaint. That's a complaint. That's a complaint. I can't park, and and you take take those data points, and all of a sudden you take you've taken data and you created a solution to what the data is telling you. You know, maybe slightly different than machine data ones and zeros. But it's still data. So all of a sudden you have to realize and appreciate that self-parking cars are indeed a reaction to data and a solution to the stimuli of data. I was just looking at a graphic, Bonnie, uh, that, that we're, I'm working on for something else, and it shows all these autonomous vehicles neatly parked, everything perfectly aligned. Mm-hmm. And then the driver, the cars with drivers. Helter skelter, askew, crooked in parking places, too far in, too far out. It's like the world is going to be better if I can adjust to it. Absolutely. One of my beefs is you go looking for a parking space in any crowded place in Manhattan or even in Queens. I live in, on Long Island, but a couple of miles from the Queens border, and you'll see a huge gap between cars. And under my breath, I'm saying, which driver, the front one or the back one, was stupid enough to leave a half a car length? But then I think maybe a bigger car was there and they pulled in and they took advantage of the space, not thinking that that somebody else could have squeezed in a little tiny car in there. I'm always wondering, so will this automatic parking algorithm allow more cars to park? I want to get Heather. Heather and Otto, let's, let's weigh in on this. Heather, what do you think? Are we going in the right direction on this? Sure. Yes, and I'm laughing because I was just thinking about a recent trip to the airport where I had to park and I was in a rush. And you drive by the spot where two people on either side of a, of a parking spot um, park too close. And then you can't you can't utilize that spot, and you just yep. spend your your cursing as you're going up at a couple more layers, right, and wasting another five minutes of your time. So I definitely feel that um, that the automotive industry is responding, you know, to some of these again complaints in the forms of different types of data sources that they've had to understand and surface what are the the best actions we can take to put functionality into the car that will serve the you know the user population best so i i think that i definitely think it's a data data driven sort of you know innovation Interesting, and that's making me think of smart cities. How do you make adva- take advantage of what you have in terms of geography or or actually space allocation for parking as long as cars take up physical space, and how do you get cars safely parked and optimize the space available? But I digress. Otto Shell, love to get your thoughts on this. Parking, automatic, what do you think? Good, bad, ugly, and, and how did it come to be? Yeah, well, I'm happy that people now talk about uh, mobility, mobile as a kind of business process. I don't think people really get it when they still talk about parking. Uh, I strongly believe that not now, not in 10 years, but maybe in the later space, we don't have parking spots at all because all our mobiles are 24.7 on the road. They are consumed. Mm-hmm. They are uh, going around there. In the logistics, when you talk about um Packaging, there are already examples where you can reduce parking spot. So I, I strongly believe that uh, as more you can put mobility 
on the streets or in the air or wherever it will be in the future, as less parking space you need. And on the other side, maybe also as less uh, uh, cars you may need due to the fact that they are all mobile. And uh, in one of our sessions a couple of months ago, we, we talked about this. Just consider when um, when you go into cities like New York or others, how much taxi drivers you have. And can you assume this would be all uh, autonomous or connected? You really believe you need this amount of taxi drivers and taxi cars? I don't think so, because it will just be a percentage to make the, it flowing. The reason why you have so much is that they cannot fulfill the demand and be on time. And we need to think this a little bit different. What does it really need to be on time, and how much then you really need? And then, again, no, no parking anymore is required. Everything is on the road. Interesting. I'm I'm tweeting here discussing the future of parking. Larry, I think we need a new a new radio show. The future of parking. Will future we even park. need parking? Yeah, the future of parking. I never thought of it. I'm creating a hashtag here. Will we need parking spaces when cars will be used 24/7 and never park? Thank you, Otto. Very very appropriate. So, uh, anybody else have anything to add to this? Because I want to move on to something in Heather's notes. Are we all good on this? Well, real quickly, Bonnie, one yeah. thing that, that I think we need to think about, Otto touched on it, and, and you know, we, we all have. Autonomous driving is going to change our world greatly. It's going to, guess what? It's going to eliminate jobs. It's going to eliminate taxi mm-hmm. drivers. It's going to eliminate uh, manufacturing jobs as, as machines get smarter and smarter and so on and so forth. There is a huge opportunity here. So we've got all these people that no longer have jobs. We have a learning opportunity, education opportunity, a developmental opportunity to retrain these people and put them back to work in, in other ways, in, in the, uh, uh, you know, the, the knowledge worker type of world, so to speak. So let's don't see, I mean, I don't see these things as displacing workers being negative. I see them as creating opportunities for people. So just a sidebar thought. I like the sidebars. That's what we're all about. This is a conversation, and I appreciate that, Larry. Let me look at some of Heather's notes here. We've covered a lot of what you sent me, Heather, but this is interesting. We're going to talk about ways. I like to call it ways and means, W-A-Z-E. Yes, (laughs) Uh, collaboration. You say we need an industry cloud that can capture curate and manage all of the data pouring in from sensors on cars, sensors on roads, sensors quote-unquote on people, meaning through the smartphones we are holding to our ear or to our mouth, to serve up insight that can drive, I love that double entendre, drive new capabilities. So talk to me about ways and the idea of smart parking. We covered that in, in a city and mobile devices and, and all the good stuff that's coming from the citizen Connected Citizen Program. So does that industry cloud exist or is it coming? Coming, Heather. It is coming, and we're seeing some early examples from some of these smart city initiatives. You know, really linking up data between traffic, real you know, road conditions. Um, the drivers are, are actually acting as sensors. Um, that's that's how Waze works, right? All the drivers become kind of nodes on the network, and they um, in real time update what's going on on the road, um, and then you know, to inform things such as parking and emergency and to, you know, identify road closures, um, road conditions related to weather. So there are all these different opportunities for, for data to kind of feed in together, but it will require um, some sort of, again, industry cloud or, a, you know, collaboration among a number of different participants, some of them who, of course, may be competitors. Um, but it will really, mm-hmm. again, serve all of that insight through a mobile device 
which is what, you know, as Larry said, you have that in your hand, you can take, you know, the next action and, and you can really change the way you interact with your environment. Um, and so I'm curious what, you know, what Otto and, and Larry have to say in terms of how, how this is going to kind of all roll out, because there are multiple theories about who will help, you know, with all this massive data and then who owns the data and then how do you, you know, again, how do you curate it and how do you monetize it? So, um, very good. Thank you. Very provocative topic. Otto, let's ask you first. What do you think about that idea of an industry cloud to capture, curate, and manage all of this data? Yeah, there's a lot of tons of discussions going on, and when when organizations like the Industrial Internet Consortium come up with their approaches and, and others or companies already started, like Siemens, their, their industry clouds, um, there's something coming up, and it goes also in a kind of direction, not sure if Heather has this in mind, but their global overall governance, and quite honestly, this is exactly what all the people fear, that, that all your data are stored somewhere, and uh, I don't want to discuss too much what's going on in the in the um, discussions round about who is using what from a, from a, uh, from a security service. Yeah? So the point is, at the end of the day, we need to be aware that, that we, we as a person really don't own data anymore. And everybody I ask around the world who tells, oh, data security, safety, cannot give me one data point he, he has not given to somebody else. It's a question of how we use this in a fair way, that, that there are security levels behind, that there are safety levels behind, that at least you know the data is used and it's not somewhere anonym and uh, it's like a spy. But at the end of the day, there is no final solution how this can work. And I think even the imagination of people, uh, what can really this digitalization bring, is not far enough to come with a model. I think the uh, what will be the main trigger is uh, who is on the table to discuss this. And when, when we have seen the last two to three years, it can it not be more um, the regulations, the governance, on their own. They must be sitting together with the big cloud companies like the Googles or maybe Amazon's Alibaba. They must sit together with the big uh, production companies, even maybe automotive, to ensure that, that all relevant requirements are included in the discussion. Uh, so I'm a strong believer that governance at the moment already lost their power in regard to uh, where the digitalization is driving. And you see what all the big companies um, in this in this environment already have achieved or what they have done. Thank you, Otto. Larry, let's circle back to you. Thoughts on this industry cloud? And then I'm going to ask you to go through a couple of case studies you sent me in your notes. I want to make sure we squeeze those in. So, Larry, thoughts? So, so from my perspective, you know, the notion of an industry cloud or this, you know, mega databases, Uber database of everything there is to know about everything that can be known. It's here. It's coming. Uh, it'll it'll evolve over time. As Otto said, you know, th- there's the concept of data ownership is really getting to be an absurdity uh, today. And and you know, I'll I'll just do something a little bit different. You know, instead of talking about all the wonderful things we can do with all this, you know, huge amount of data with the right controls and and so on and so forth. I, I would just want to issue a, a warning, if you will. 
Um, we have all this data, but you know what? Many people, many companies, many uh, processes within companies look at this big pile of data through the lens of what they know. So an engineering person within a car company looks at this big pile of data through an engineering lens. And a supply chain person in a car company, or, or any company for that matter, looks at this big pile of data through a uh, supply chain lens or from a customer lens and so on and so forth. And you know what? That basically relegates the data opportunity to nothing more than evolutionary status. And the fact of the matter is the fact that we have this data ubiquitous and ever present pile and ever growing pile of data this is an experience we need to throw off the lens that we look at this data with and and expand ourselves and and say what can be from an engineering perspective let me look at things beyond engineering that'll make engineering better let me look at things beyond the supply chain that'll make the supply chain better and more efficient so throw off the siloed lens that we have today and look at this data as a huge opportunity for innovation and improvement. Thank you, Larry. That's the way and I see it. I, well, let's see if everybody else sees it that way. Otto, I'm about to go to a couple notes from you before I have Larry talk about his case studies. But, Otto, any thoughts on what Larry just said? No, I, I think we are pretty much aligned here. And the, the point is really that is for us all new and, and so big, so that it's not a point discussion and in a specific area, it's not a point discussion in a specific country. It's, it's really a point discussion. How, how do we get this together uh, going forward? The, the last thing, what, what really should happen is that people fear what we are talking about and then we block ourselves. So pretty much aligned here to what Larry said. Thank you. I want to squeeze in some notes here from Otto, and I want to bring the word smart into the discussion. Otto sent me many slides. I copied what I could out of the slides, but here's something interesting. Otto talks about view on the markets. Digital transformation is already ongoing as companies and startups run new, meaning automated and industrialized business models. Now, here are some, some buzz phrases I'm picking up from Otto's slides, and I'd like you to tell us how this all goes together. You talk about the smart car, the smart meter, the smart city, smart business, smart buying, smart logistics, smart invoicing, smart network. So how smart are we, Otto? How much longer, how much farther do we need to go till all of this is really, really smart in terms of automotive? Let's focus on our, our theme here. Yeah, I think what, what you see at the moment is, is really all of these topics are somewhere covered, but not end-to-end. Yeah, and going back to, to one of our sessions where we talk about what is the investment here? Can a connected car alone drive? No. Can an autonomous car alone drive? Maybe yes, but it's autonomous at its own. If we want to come into the world where we discussed about before, about uh, do we really need parking spots? All those things need to talk together. doesn't make sense if um, a specific uh, OEM is able to do this kind of uh, nice connected if others don't talk to each other. So you will never come into a row having several OEMs driving behind each other in a, in a queue and make sure that traffic is smooth. So all of the smart ideas are all already on the street somewhere, and, and, and you, you read more and more about this every day, but that we really come to an, to an end-to-end view that I can have maybe 
a credit card driving through Germany and take electro um, uh, um, stations and, and pay. We are not there because each of the German government and there are 13 have uh, different rules to apply. So are we are we smart at the moment? Not really because to be really smart mm. you need to break down more and more and more borders to come. Thank you, so Otto. Even more, more and more walls to break down. Agree. Different thinking. And that's what we're looking for. Larry, I'm, I'm going to circle around to you. You quoted in your notes uh, an article I found called Connectivity is Productivity, How Mobile Technology Can Support Decent Work. Interesting concept. April 14, 2015, the Huffington Post, the article was about a proclamation by somebody named Iqbal Qadir, I-Q-B-A-L-Q-U-A-D-I-R, the power of digital connection to accelerate human potential. And it could be, could not be more relevant. Uh, talking about the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona last year. So, Larry, let's talk about this connectivity as productivity. And you sent me in your notes several case studies very briefly i see here one on under armor one on the port of hamburg uh hire asia h a i e r uber and the american society of clinical oncologists asco so larry won't you just please give us talking about connectivity as productivity and the value of mobile in terms of generating data and how do we use that data when and where we need to uh since uber is part of automotive and and a lot of other topics obviously won't you start with that and maybe give us one other interpretation on productivity via data, via mobile. Absolutely. You know, Uber's, yes, that's part of the automotive industry, certainly. And when you think about Uber for a minute, what is Uber? Uber is nothing but an app. There's no, They don't own anything. They don't provide any service directly or anything else. But their market cap is measured in billions of U.S. dollars, billions of U.S. dollars. So what did they do? They just connected people with cars and people who needed transportation and created this huge ecosystem that drives value and money, uh, you know, through the process. They don't own anything. This is an amazing business model. And, and when you think about, you know, some of the reality show stars and so on and so forth and, you know, what's the value of their brand? I don't get it. I understand Uber. This makes sense to me. This is using data, enabling the use of that data for the good, for the mutual good of everybody. And along the way, Uber makes a lot of money. So, you know, what did they invest? Not much. But did it turn out well? Absolutely. You know, you look at, at the Port of Hamburg, for example, Port of Hamburg in Germany, uh, busy port, uh, growing port, uh, landlocked port, if you will. Mm-hmm. What did they have to do? They had to take data. They had to take data from all sorts of disparate sources, um, you know, from ships, from containers, from trucks, and so on and so forth, from people, and, and aggregate that data and make some sense out of it so they could operate the port efficiently, effectively, and could squeeze out of the, land, the, the real estate multiples of uh, improvement so that, you know, the Port of Hamburg would continue to be a viable port authority, port resource for many, many years without expansion. So, you know, those are those are some very, you know, clear and precise ideas of connectivity and such enabling process improvement, process change, process innovation. 
Thank you, Larry. Very interesting. Heather, any thoughts? Do you have any case studies you want to talk about, Heather? Any uh, examples of mobile data being used in transforming an industry? Um, well, within automotive, there was a recent, uh, I just read an article about Toyota, um, actually, and this is so um, appropriate because we're talking about your smartphone. They're actually developing the technology so that your smartphone device turns into a smart key, and um, you can actually, you know, put a mount uh, a device on your on your dashboard and share your car. The, they're envisioning this future where, you know, to Otto's point, right, that our cars are not going to be in our garages, they're going to be on the road 24-7. Well, Toyota's trying to kind of take, they're trying to do a little bit of catch-up for some of the other sort of ride-sharing that we've talked about and take it a step further, and now your smartphone becomes a smart key that you can actually rent, you know, access to your car at a specific time and use this encrypted, you know, security to be able to support that. Um, so that's, you know, another example of the innovation, I think, in this, in this area. Um, and I also would like to point out, um, when Larry mentioned Uber, I had to, of course, bring up the fact that we're now looking at, you know, Uber just released this um, white paper uh, last week about the um, on-demand urban air transportation, where they have a whole vision for vertical lift um, air transportation to solve some of the, the traffic and congestion issues. So here is a company that started out, all about information and data, and their app was really their kind of IP. And now they are applying it to, you know, to a- aviation beyond, you know, just the cars on the road. Um, so that's just transformative, what, what you can do with, with the right information, right, in your hands at the right time. Breaking the mold, right, Heather? Getting out of that yeah. box and st- not saying, but we're in this industry, but we're in this box, but we have to keep our mindset thinking. We're not allowed to think in other industries. Yes, they are. Yes, they can. Very, very interesting. Uh, I want to go into one other interesting thing from your notes, Heather. We're almost, well, we're actually at predictions, but let me just go into one more. You say mobile devices and connected cars will change the way insurance is sold, dispensed, and managed. So a car accident at the scene of the accident, how does mobile help the driver, the person who has been hit. Heather, what's your thought on that? I definitely think it gives us a new level of uh, visibility and also a new level of uh, efficiency. So one of the other things that technology provides, of course, is, is in the massive efficiencies, which, again, take cost out and deliver value to the, to the various participants. So, you know, if you're envisioning that idea um, at the site of an accident, being able to more quickly get to the point of assessing the damage and starting the process, right, of the claims process, which we all know in, you know, traditional times can take weeks, um, if not longer. Um, that's a, a, an efficiency gain, which is also worth, you know, value. And, and from an insurance perspective also, to your point, we see um, among the, the data that we, um, we, were, we were tracking at IDC is insurance and telematics is one of the fastest growing areas for, you know, IoT and connectivity in terms of being able to use the use or benefit from the data. Thank you very much. And I'm going to circle back to Larry. And Larry, I can give you 60 seconds on predictions. I think we've been talking about that the whole hour here. But I'd love to know specifically, what do you think? Automotive, mobile data, what's coming down the pike? What kind of car will you be having on the road? Even if you don't own it, what would be your favorite 24-7 car share or anything? What mobile device would you be using five years from now? Talk to me, Larry. Well, you know, I I think what's going to continue to happen is, you know, the pile of data, uh, the ubiquitous pile of data is going to be completely growing. It's going to be bigger and more diverse and and more inclusive than ever before. And, And my prediction is that we're going to stop 
using the traditional lenses of our business processes of manufacturing, of supply chain, of uh, transportation and mobility, and and look at that pile of data in terms of what we can do or how we can do it, much like the Uber example. My prediction is we're going to throw off the lenses that we view data with, and we're going to have an entirely new thought process when it comes to data and its cap- its opportunity that's going to be so different and so unique that we'll never think about manufacturing again. We'll never think about uh, transportation or mobility in the same way. I think data is going to become the dominant factor and will destroy all the silos of the automotive industry that we've seen exist for 100-plus years. Mm, interesting. Okay, Heather, that's a big uh, a big prediction there. What do you see? I give you 60 seconds, maybe even 90 seconds. Heather Ashton, what's coming down the pike, and how far in the future can you look from your vantage point at IDC? Um, so I would definitely say that in, um, in five years, we're going to see um, some dramatic changes in the way that, um, you know, the way that the industry kind of plays out. You know, to Larry's point about the data, I think that the, in five years, artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to catch up. Um, not replacing all of what our what our human mind can do, but doing things that our human mind can't do, and taking us to the next step. And that, by that, I mean un, um, taking the massive troves of data that we just talked about and being able to um, to highlight and kind of un, uncover, you know, connections and anomalies that we as humans couldn't spend, you know, thousands of hours doing if we looked at all the data ourselves. So I think we're going to see um, a case where the, the massive kind of benefit of analytics and, and big data and, again, machine learning and, and, and artificial intelligence really working to such a way that in five years we're going to have that um, ability to do things like that autonomous, you know, some of the autonomous driving and, and some of that autonomous decision-making that is occurring, you know, today that still needs the human, the human intervention. So I think, we're, I think it's coming. I don't think we're there today, but it is on, it's on its way. Thank you very much on its way. Indeed, Auto Shell at GM, I saved. Oh, I can give you 90 seconds. Give me a nice meat on the bones prediction, here, Otto. Yeah, if we do our job very well, and this is a combination of people with experience, which are on the phone, but, but also those people which are very young at the moment, we, we see people walking which haven't walked before, it's already handicapped because it's not only about mobility of a car, it's about how do we use artificial intelligence, how do we use robotics to support those people. So there are experiments going on uh, with, it, with the nerves and give, give insights into moving them. We talk a lot about uh, what we do with, with not only a handicap but also with older people, with, with younger people to to drive them to nice places to go out. So if we do our job very well, my prediction is that we can come really to a kind of point where everybody in this world is somehow mobile. How to do it very well is really to get all groups together. Yeah. So there is no big win for one group only. There's no big win on Texas. There's no big win for one OEM or for other suppliers. We only win this battle if we do this together. And now I'm predicting a little bit in a positive world. If we don't do this, we, we don't have good outcome, which means that uh, there will be people winning, others losing. And we still need to think about when a robot makes 
money in behalf of myself because he's doing my job that he pays taxes. So I have very positive mm-hmm. predictions, but it really belongs to us how we work this out together. What a beautiful prediction, Otto, especially as we approach year-end. I want to ask you if you'd ever thought of running for office. <laughs> <laughs> Collaborating, working together, dreaming together. Nobody loses. Nobody is more important than anybody else. Otto, dream on. This would be a beautiful world. Thank you very much. Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, Otto Shell. Thank you. And Pradeep Amladi at SAP for extending this series and inviting Larry and Larry for talking to Pradeep about doing an extra episode. It's nice to transport pun intended, the three of you over from the future of cars over here to Digital Industry Changing the Game Radio. Larry, I got uh, two sec- three seconds here for you. What's coming up next year on Future of Cars? Any quick idea of any of your hot topics you're going to cover next year? Fast? Well, not, not really yet, but we're going to continue the future of cars, and I've already started uh, canvassing my good friends, Heather, Otto, and a few others about topics, and I think next year... We're going to shift a little bit from autonomous and mobility and start talking more about manufacturing, more about product design, certainly going to continue on autonomous and you know, connected vehicles and so on. But I think we're going to be a little bit more diverse across all of the aspects of the automotive industry for next year. Thank you very much, Larry Stoley, Heather Ashton, Otto Shell. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Justin, who is engineering for us today. And shout out to the Business Channel team. I'll be in Manhattan tomorrow afternoon attending Ad Tech, courtesy of the World Talk Radio team, getting me a press pass. And I'll be meeting with Jeff Spinard, president and CEO of World Talk Radio, a.k.a. Voice America Radio, and talking about the future of Game Changers Radio for next year. We've got some hot plans in the works. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. How appropriate we're talking cars. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.